If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. We're actually hitting three verses today as opposed to one, so you may want it. Um, we've been in this uh, Hebrews chapter 11 for a while. We've been talking about faith and, and really, in a way, almost frustrated a little bit by Hebrews and the fact that it's not really defining faith for us. It's just giving us aspects of what faith looks like. It's showing us different stories of individuals or his, pieces of history of individuals that have displayed what faith can look like in our lives, but it hasn't really defined it necessarily for us. I'm actually fairly excited because today's text is one of those ones that we get a pretty simple solution or understanding of what faith can look like in our lives today. Uh, we, we have to first recognize a, a few things. One is, is that there is a life with faith and a life without faith. And that is something that we've been talking about through Hebrews for quite some time, that ultimately faith comes through Jesus Christ. And that's where we get this understanding of what faith is, is through Jesus Christ and the working of, of him as our high priest, as him being greater than Abraham and Moses and the angels and everything that, that Hebrews has built up to this point about Jesus and who he is in our lives. And as we've looked at Abraham and, and, and Sarah a little bit, it seems like almost like a little bit of a, a rabbit trail that the author goes on here in this section, but it's actually just a beautiful section of scripture that allows us to kind of pause on the by faith section and then go right back into by faith after this. Uh, we get a language today out of this text that is going to be on repeat, kind of like I warned you guys for the four chapters of Jesus being the high priest um, that we were through. This language that happens today, this eternal perspective, this idea of a heavenly kingdom, where we're going, is going to be on repeat from now until the end of the book of Hebrews. And so just enjoy that process as we go. So again, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 is where we are today. These all died in faith. Okay, I'll pause right there. These all could easily be attributed to all of the patriarchs that have been discussed at this spot, but the way that this language is used, it makes sense for this to be specifically to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so that is the, the ones that he's talking about right here. These ones died in faith. It's not that the others didn't, but we know for Enoch, he didn't actually die. He was just taken up. And so either way, this is what he's talking about in context here. So it seems like a pause, but let's, let's stay in it. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of, of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so in this, in this section, we kind of see a progression of how faith plays out in our lives. And I think this is something that really I was excited to get to because, again, it's, it's hard to, to figure out what our role is when we think of a Noah or an Abraham or what they're doing. But right here, the author kind of pauses and shows us kind of how pro the progression maybe in our life of what faith would look like. And the very first thing he says is that you die. It says that these all died in faith. And so there's an assumption, an understanding, which isn't new. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 6, and chapter 10 all talk about us living a life of faithfulness, persevering to the end. The idea was that you would die in faith. And so this is one way we can understand that faith is real, is that we die in it. You want to understand a, a faith that, 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 that makes sense and that's tangible for you. It's ultimately our goal, our desire should be that we die in faith. 
we die in a way that, that we live in our lives looking forward to the promises despite what happens on this temporary earth for us. We die in a way where we are fixated on Jesus Christ and his work and what he's doing and not on our own lives and what's happening there. So it's a fixation on faith, promises of God beyond this life. These all, these, these individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, they, they died in faith. So at the end of the day, for us, our goal should be that we want to die in faith. We want to persevere to the end, like the Hebrews says, so that they will not leave or shrink back in the time of difficulty, but instead stand in confidence, in boldness before God because of what Christ has done for us. So they all fixated, even though they didn't see the promises, and we talked about this. Abraham didn't experience a promised land. He didn't actually get a single foundation underneath him. He lived in tents. He was promised descendants that outnumber the sun. When he, when he went to be with the Lord at 175-ish age, there were three descendants. Not, I mean, it's a start, but not really well on the way there. And so ultimately, what is he talking about here? He's talking about people being fixated, focused on dying in faith, recognizing that when we die, we just pass through to eternal life, which is where our ultimate home is. So the first step of faith and recognizing it is that we have to die in faith. And that shouldn't be a, a confusion for us because to follow the Lord, we have to die to ourselves. It's not new. This isn't a new principle. But for us to have faith, we have to recognize that we die to ourselves. Like Jesus says, we take up our cross daily. We die to ourselves daily so that when we die, when we leave this physical body, this moment when we leave the pain and the brokenness of this world, we die in faith despite how we die or what those circumstances are or how difficult it is. The second thing we see in this kind of this progression of faith is that there's this death. We also see that they say that Abraham, Abraham seeing from afar. Now that's not necessarily a distance in miles, but more of a distance in outside of that kind of, a, not a clear reality of distance, but a spatial sense, but more just long time away. And we see that in John 8, 56, Jesus talking about Abraham. And I love this. He says that Abraham, your father Abraham, rejoiced. Why did he rejoice? That he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What Abraham sees at a distance, he sees the Messiah. He sees his hope, his future, his purpose. It's in Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us today, we don't have to look forward to the Messiah and, and saving us. We can look backwards and see that what Jesus Christ has done for us. What we look forward to is Jesus coming again and, and, and writing everything that's upside down, bringing about his kingdom to full fruition. And so we wait in that way. But Abraham sees the promises. He didn't just, they weren't just some hypothetical thing to him. He saw the Messiah. And Jesus tells us that he was glad. He rejoiced that he saw it. But he never, ever experienced it in his life. He never got to see it in that aspect. He never got to see Jesus go to the cross or, or, or experience that moment. But he sees it from far. So the first step for us in faith is to fix our eyes on the further kingdom purposes to see Jesus' promises, to see the promises of God at a future that don't make sense, that are outside of our circumstances right now. Seeing it is, is, is the first step of faith. This is why we said originally that faith really just gives us an eyes to see God. That's how it can be a confidence and assurance of things not seen. Is because we're no longer looking with our fleshly eyes. We're looking at the promises of God through the faith eyes that he has given us as a gift through Jesus Christ. So we can, we can see his promises. They're not just some hypothetical. They're written out right here. He says he's coming back. We can see it clear as day. And so we don't just assume like, oh, maybe that'll come someday and put it on a shelf and don't listen to it. Instead, we eagerly anticipate this. We look to it. We fix our heart and our eyes on 
that. We see it from a distance. Even though it feels far away, this life is but a vapor. It'll be a moment. We fix our eyes on that. We see it. We see the promises. The second thing that we, we see in this kind of this progression of faith and how this works is an acknowledgement. It's kind of a confession. We see the word acknowledge, that they acknowledge that they are aliens or strangers. That's an interesting thing to acknowledge, but, but again, to us, that doesn't make much sense. And we talked about this a few weeks ago with Abraham. To us, we're like, well, okay, strangers, aliens, we're, we're not like welcome here. We're not, this isn't our homeland. To them, that meant that all rights were gone. Every single right was gone. That meant that they had no rights as a citizen. They were completely separate from that. And so he's saying there's an acknowledgement, there's a, a confession that this isn't home. There's a, there's a posturing that we need to have in our lives that says, I don't care how awesome the real estate market is right now. It doesn't matter what house I get, it's still temporary. It's still a tent. It's a dwelling that I will stay in for now until my real home comes. In fact, Philippians 3, 20, 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, we gladly recognize that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is not in America or wherever your home country is, or it's not that you live in this state. Our citizenship is transcends all of that, and it is the kingdom of God. When we live and acknowledge that, we make decisions differently. When we recognize that this home, this space that God has us in right now is just a temporary dwelling, we, we, we keep it in its rightful place, way down the list behind what the Lord is doing in our lives. We no longer think, how can God do kingdom purposes through this home that we have? Instead, it's how can we continue to do kingdom purposes while he has us in this home? It's no longer about what makes us comfortable but seeking out contentment in the Lord. It's no longer about finding our comforts and that being our primary motivation and recognizing that we're content in the Lord. And if he chooses to allow us to have some comforts, then we give him the glory for that as well. Acknowledging, confessing that you are a stranger, an alien. Again, to us, it just doesn't make much sense. But to acknowledge that means that you have a clear understanding that to live by faith is not to live a part of this world. To confess that you're a stranger alien can seem scary, but Ephesians 2.19 makes that seem a lot less scary when he says, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now that's where we want our citizenship. That's where we want our, our hope and our, and our peace to be in, is the fact that we are a family of God. Those that are here that profess to follow Jesus as Lord, look around, you're going to spend an eternity worshiping God together. This is about acknowledging that this world does not have what it tries to trick you to believe that it has, which is hope, which is peace. That only comes through Christ and being a part of his kingdom. And so a confession, not only do we see God's promises from afar, but then in seeing those, we confess that what we see right now in our circumstances is not God's unless God is doing some kind of life in it. We see the world as, 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 as our role here in this world is very, very specific. We are to make disciples, we are to be salt and light, but it is never about here. It is about him and what he's doing for us in a future home. You want to have faith like Abraham, you got to see the promises ahead. You got to be willing to die in faith. You got to see the promises ahead, and then you have to acknowledge that all the things that you're seeking right now are temporary. Everything that you're going about right now, even your family situations, they're beautiful, they're graces, they're God's given wonderful thing, but they're still temporary. 
This is not our dwelling. This is not home. You were made to live for his eternal purposes in the heavenly world that he is creating for us. You were made to be a part of his kingdom. He knit you together in your mother's womb with that purpose. And so when we start trying to find purpose or identity in what we do or how passionate we are about stuff, and dude, get, get passionate, get excited. But the instant we start finding our identity or we start wrapping up our purpose in this and we forget that this is just temporary, we lose sight of it. And this is where I think most of our faith crises happen. We get too fixated on circumstances. Well, if God is so good, how can this happen? Well, if God is so this, how can this happen? Why does he this and this? And all of those this questions, although they may be very justifiable questions, and I don't think God is scared of those questions, ask away. They tell us really quickly that we are fixated on the now as opposed to the, the, the future. When I get too focused on my circumstances, I start wanting to see God do things here, and God goes, whoa, 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 I am doing things here, but I'm about here. Don't lose sight. I'm doing things here, but I'm about here. I'm about my purpose, my kingdom, my work that I'm doing here. So stay focused on that. The third thing that we see out of this, so after dying to yourself, recognizing that you can die in faith, acknowledging to see God from far, acknowledging or see, seeing God from our, acknowledging and embracing the fact that this isn't home, the next thing we can see is we actually see a seeking happen in here. They were seeking this land. They were seeking this land. Now this word land is really important for us. It's not just land in and of itself. It's fatherland. It's a belonging land. It's a home that they're looking for. Not a home in the sense that we all think of home, but a home in a belonging, a, a purpose, and that's where they're at. That's what they're seeking. And what are they doing? They knew for a fact that it wasn't in this land. That's why they kept seeking. That's why our, our patriarchs, the ones that went before us, they kept seeking this. We also see it said a little bit differently in a couple of verses down. It says desiring, seeking and desiring. Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and all other things will be added to us when talking about our anxieties or worries. So are you seeking God's kingdom? Do you desire it? Do you wake up hungry to see more of his kingdom purposes? Do you, do you go about your day? Do you look at your decisions? And when you say a job decision or a relational decision or a vocation decision or a, a location decision, do you look at that first as a desire to say, God, I want to be right in the middle of your will and your purposes? I desire to seek you. I know that as fun as this will be to go down this angle, I know as fun as it will be to have this relationship or to get this home or to do these things, I know ultimately that these are not what I am to seek. I am to seek you and your kingdom purposes. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking his kingdom? Is that what's a priority in your life? Or do you find yourself seeking all of the other comforts of this world with the backdrop kind of being, oh, I should think about something kingdom purpose at some point. Everything we do should be seeking his kingdom purposes, should be about that. There's an interesting statement here that probably doesn't make sense to all of us, but I, I'm going to apply, is he says that they didn't turn back. They didn't, they didn't turn back. And so the turning point, that's pun intended, right? The turning point in faith is that you don't turn back. See, what, what we notice is that he's talking about the physical land, that, that Abraham and all of them could have easily, to, to go back to their fatherland, they could have gone back to Mesopotamia. That could have been, that was a doable thing for them, but they kept going, they kept staying out, they didn't turn back. And for most of us, we may view like Idaho or, or California or, or Washington or wherever we came from as like we left our home, we're going somewhere, we want to go back, but I don't think that really is the issue for most of us. I think the issue for most of us is we turn back to our old self. 
I think the issue is that when we start struggling in faith, instead of walking in the new creation that God says we are through Christ, we start going back to old self ways. We turn back in faithless acts to our old self. What can I do on my own? What have, what have I been able to procure up some kind of peace in a moment of? And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna fixate myself on this for a moment. And it's old self that doesn't even exist anymore because Christ has done away with the old. The old has passed. You are a new creation in Christ. So most of us aren't turning in a physical land sort of way. Most of us are turning in a spiritual way. We turn old self. And I think this is the pinnacle of faith. The, the turning point of faith in our life is no turning. You, you want to you see faith. You want to see yourself move your life forward in faith. Then, then take a step in faith and don't turn back. We challenge you. You said this year we're going to ask you to risk faith. So this is the year. As, as a church, we're just gonna, we don't know what that means necessarily, but we know that ultimately this is the year that as individuals, as churches, we're all, as a church, we're gonna, we're gonna push on you to risk faith. Well, there's one kind of incongruency in that. First off, if your faith is in God, there is really no risk in it. Let me just be really clear about that. It may seem very risky to us. Risky financially, risky time-wise, risky relationally, like all of those things. But if it's in his foundation, in his firm foundation, there's no risk in it. It's God's. But how are you going to step out in faith? Maybe God has called you. He's led you to step out in faith, and your fear is turning back. Some of you, it may be a physical location that God is saying, no, no, I'm taking you out. And you're like, well, I just, I'll leave, Lord, when you tell me where. And he says, did that work for Abraham? I didn't tell him where. Okay, God, I'll do this for you when it starts to make sense. Did that make sense for Noah? No. Some of you, it is a physical position. God's saying, no, I'm doing something with you. Some of you, you keep pleading with God to take you somewhere else. He's saying, no, because if I take you somewhere else, you're going to try and find your satisfaction in that. And I just need you to sit still and be joyful in me. For you, faith would be doing nothing right now, just sitting in this moment, recognizing that I'm doing everything that I said I would do. Whatever it is, God is, is leading you to walk and you are to not turn back, to not give yourself back to the old ways. So many of us keep taking steps out in faith and then in fear we're holding on to something behind and it just keeps pulling us back and keeps pulling us back. Just let go. Faith is, is stepping in full confidence that what God has said is true is true, that he'll do the very things he says he'll do. That's how we die in faith, by not turning back. So then he says this really interesting set of scripture that seems like it could be a sermon in all of itself. It's the end of 16. He says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I, I wrestled with this for a long time. Like, does that mean that God is ashamed if some people call him God? Is that, like, what, is, what does it really specifically mean? And I think this has less kind of personal in a moment, but makes it really, really personal for a second. So hang on with me here for a second. I think what he's saying is that ultimately with these ones, if you notice the very first time that Moses asked, what is God's name? He says, I am. That's my name. Right? And we see God as majestic and holy, and there's a million names that work for who God is. But God does something profound in the covenant with his people through Abraham. He, he forsakes all other names and starts identifying himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He makes himself very personal. To, to you and I, we're like, oh yeah, God's very personal. We see Jesus. To, to these people, even after Jesus Christ has done what he's doing, this is still a profound statement for them. 
This is still a really, really big deal that God is not ashamed because there was, there were Gentiles and there were Jews and there was all sorts of other cultural things going on that were wrestling with their understanding of who God was. And he's saying, God is not ashamed to be your God. And so much so, in case you were just, in case you were just concerned about that a little bit, there's, there's two fours in here. And these fours are the meanings by which in the, the original Greek, by, just in case you're wondering, therefore God is not afraid or not ashamed to call you or have, you, have them call your God. Therefore, this is a big one, just in case you were curious, he's building a city for you. He's not, not only is he, is he not ashamed to align himself to you as, as your father, as your God. For, for those of us today through Christ, we've, we've talked about this. This means that we get to be in the throne room of the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And God is not ashamed to have us there, but this is different. This is a bigger deal. This is the almighty, powerful God created everything that we can't understand he forsakes all those names so that he can be aligned to his people. That is a beautiful thing. And just in case you were like, well, maybe that's not enough, he, not only does he do that, he goes, oh, okay, I'm, I'm preparing a city for them. I'm preparing a fatherland for them that, that will make everything that they've experienced in this world pale. There's, there's not even the same comparison. It's like a bunch of toddlers playing in the World Cup. Like, that's how bad it's going to be. They're, they're not even comparable. And God says, I am making a city for them. And you know what that means? Jesus takes it one step further. In the gospel, he says, I'm making a place at the table for you. He says, oh, oh, okay. Bren really loves these foods. He can't eat them because of all the allergies he has, right? So, like, I'm going to renew him and make this amazing meal for him. He's like, maybe I love, the, oh, they love these flowers. I want to set the flowers just this way. They love the smell of those flowers. I created them that way. I saw the joy that they came from that. I saw them praise me for the way that this happened. I'm going to set these two people next to each other. They don't even know each other, but they have no idea that they're serving the same God. He is up there actively preparing a place in a city that he's created for us, and we're down here going, I want more of this world. He said, no, you guys, I have, I have, a, I have a perfect place for you, and I've done everything possible so that you and I can be in relationship why would we ever settle for less? Why would be dying in not faith even an option for us? It should, it should just be a second nature to us because of the profound beauty of what it means to have a fatherland that is perfect, that is prepared for us not only as a kingdom, but also as us, for us very individually. I know our idiosyncrasies, and he still says, oh, I can't wait to celebrate with him. I can't wait to sit with him. He knows, Jesus knows what you did last night or last week that was completely sinful. And he's still going, I can't wait to celebrate with you if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, there's a celebration awaiting you. Submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Why would we settle for less? So the point here is that life of faith is the life of an exile and a sojourner, a refugee. The promises of God are our real home and we have seen them from afar and have greeted them and tasted them, and they have made us restless and uneasy. They have begun to shape our whole way of seeing and thinking and feeling. They have colored all our values and goals and desires. We have, put out, we have been put out of sync with this world because our treasure is in heaven. I've said this over and over and over again. If this world is too comfortable, if you are too in sync with this world, not the old band, some of you won't remember, okay? If you're too in sync with the world, then you are missing the point. We are going to rub this world the wrong way because we are not a part of this world. We are exiles. We are strangers. We are citizens to a king who is not in this world at this moment, but it will take over everything. And trust me, every knee 
will bow. So if you are way in sync, if your life looks exactly like the life of someone who doesn't know the Lord next to you, then there might be a problem. I was talking with my wife about this just yesterday, actually. We were talking about sometimes how you get in a conversation with someone that isn't, isn't a believer, and you can, you can have conversations where it's like, oh, what do you do? You know, tell me about your kids, and you kind of do those things. And, and this is not a statement like, look, we are called to be salt and light, like, so this is not a, a reason to isolate yourself from those that don't know the Lord. But I, we, we were, my wife and I were kind of lamenting on the fact like the conversation can only go so far. Like we feel like at some point it's like we lose like something to talk about because, because for us, the only thing that is value, and we wrestle with this, we struggle, we're not perfect at this, but the only thing that is value is, is kingdom purposes. And so at some point it's kind of like, okay, well, when are we going to start talking about Jesus? Because that's really what matters. I love hearing about your life and where you're at and what you're doing and work and all those things, but, but ultimately we're going we're gonna to at some point gonna have to cross that path. Because for me and for you and for all of us that are followers of Jesus, there should kind of be that moment where it's like, I don't have any other chit-chat left. I need to tell you about the most amazing hope and peace there ever is. In fact, my life is so about seeking it, you probably already know what I'm going to talk to you about. That's what we should be wrestling with. We should be so enamored with God, so desiring his kingdom purposes that it just, we can't, it just kind of reeks out of us in a, in, a, in a very beautiful aroma. So what is faith? It's seeing the promises of God from afar, experiencing a change of values so that you desire the promises above what the world has to offer. It is a glad greeting of those promises from a distance and a heart seeking to know them and cherish them and be satisfied by them so that a new kind of life emerges that is out of sync with this world. A life that builds an ark in the desert, leaves the securities of a home, builds a crib at 90 years old. That's what faith is. It's the progression of faith is being willing to die in faith. And my assumption is most of you being here at church, you, you're, you're ready to say that you want to do that. You want to live a life that way. So that when, at the end of the day, it can be by faith, by faith, by faith. You can see the promises of God and the Messiah. And not only do you see them, but you embrace the fact that this isn't it. And then you seek him even more in it. And as you seek him, you, you seek him without ever turning back. And ultimately recognizing that God is not only not ashamed to be called your God, but he is preparing a city for you. He's preparing a home, a fatherland for all of us. The band's going to come up and we're going to continue worshiping. But as they do, I want to push on you just a little bit. Where are you turning back? What in your life, if if you were to just sit down with someone you love, I mean someone you love and loves you and you have a great relationship and you trust their heart and their motivation, no, they're not perfect, and you just said, look at my life. Is there anything in my life that you see that isn't seeking the Lord? What areas would they poke at? And, and why are you still doing that? If you're for his kingdom and his purposes, why are those those areas that we're holding on to? Maybe some of you, you need to get poked on the fact that you keep turning back. God keeps asking you to step out in faith. He keeps leading you to do this. He's, he's done everything to lead you this moment, but you keep holding back. And some of you, that may be Relationships. You've been keeping yourself at a distance relationally, even though there are 59 one another commands in the New Testament alone on how you're to treat your brother and sister. And you keep your brothers and sisters at arm's length because you're afraid of being hurt. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it is financially. For you, you're like, you know what? I have spent my whole life being faithful to give a fraction or an amount of my money to God. But the wrong statement in that is that it's your money. It's not. And I'm not even saying that you need to give more, but maybe it's a reorientation of your thinking and going, God, I am done thinking about this as mine. This isn't my child. This isn't my wife. This isn't my house. This isn't my money. These are yours. And they're for your kingdom purposes first. And I just 
get a wife and a child and a house out of that deal. Whatever it is, I, I would encourage you to not, to not sit in laziness or complacency, complacency in that. See, because to die in faith, you see Abraham for a hundred years, essentially, live that life where he could say he died in faith. Now, he made mistakes, but it was a hundred years. I don't think he waited until he was 175 and went, oh, I gotta be faithful. Let's be faithful right now. What would it mean for you to live your life today as if tomorrow he came? What would it mean for you to live your life today as if you actually believe the promises of him that what he has for you is way better than what you have today? What would it mean for you to live a life that is forsaking the world and what it has to offer and keeping yourself fixated on the kingdom purposes inside of this world? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for not being ashamed to be called my God. Lord, I pray for every individual in here, whether they um, have followed you for a very long time or they're just, maybe they just feel like they've lost their way. God, I pray that you would restore in them faith. Help them to see that faith isn't something that they have to muster up, but faith is a gift from you. God, I pray that they would submit themselves to you in that. Father, I pray for the individual in here that doesn't know you, whether they've uh, followed you or been around you for a long time. Maybe they've, they're embarrassed to, to admit that they have not confessed you as Lord. God, I pray that you would just wreak havoc on their hearts. I pray that you draw them to you in a way that only you can. I pray that they would realize today, today, God, that they don't have to have another day looking for hope in this world that they will never find. And God, for those of us that have been following you somewhat faithlessly, Father, I pray that you would instill, invigorate in us some faith. If that means you need to strip the things of this world around us away, then do so, Lord. If you need to take away comforts, then take away comforts. If you need to take away relationships, then take away relationships, God. Whatever you need to do, do it so that we can live focused on you, seeking you and you alone. We praise you for what you're doing, God. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives like we know you, do, you say you will. But God, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.